Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everybody say, Faith for your life. God has blessed Leah and I for many years. Material blessings, physical blessings, healings, blessed us with Breland, all the great things that God has done. But I want you to know the greatest blessing, and I like to say it like this, the greatest blessing that my faith has appropriated has nothing to do with material things. Now let me say that again. The greatest blessing that my faith has appropriated has nothing to do with material things. Let me give you a little bit of background and I'll, we'll look at a couple of scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, let me get over that. I didn't have it marked so I've got to dig for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we are right here. Now, I was raised in, in an in a Assembly of God church. Our pastors, Reverend and Miss J.R. Goodwin, both have gone on to be with the Lord, were not the typical Assembly of God pastors. I'd like to say it like this. They were not tradition, the traditional type of Assembly of God pastors. Uh, back then, that was, I believe we, get, we began to attend that church in 1961. And uh, uh, they were literally entering in as ministers into the beginning stages of the charismatic movement. Uh, one of their best friends and protégés was Reverend Kenneth E. Hagan. Brother Hagan used to come to our church every year, sometimes twice a year, and do meetings for two weeks at a time, two services a day. Our family became friendly. Dad was his lawyer. When Brother Hagan left the Assemblies of God, uh, Dad was the one that formed Kenneth Hagan Evangelistic Association. And uh, not only that, uh, 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 a young pastor, young Baptist pastor, in 1958... Uh, got filled with the Holy Ghost in their living room. His name was John Osteen. And so they were uh, connected to uh, uh, God beginning to move in that charismatic move. You say, now what was the charismatic move? How would you define that? The charismatic move was a great move of the Spirit of God in which there were a lot of people saved, but really the essence of the charismatic movement went into the denominational realm of the church and brought millions and millions of denominational people into the true light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of church people right now that believe they're going to heaven that they're not. They're not born again. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It matters if you're born again or not. Jesus said you must be born again. I heard one of the full gospel businessmen say this. He said, when you go, he said, when you go up, all the labels fall off. When you go down, they all burn off. <laughs> Amen. So we grew up in there, and there was some elements of old Pentecostal tradition there. You know, we didn't, we didn't go to movies. I didn't go to a movie until I was 18 years old, and when I went, I knew I was committing the unpardonable sin, you know. <laughs> I thought, man, I tell you, I, I remember Cheryl, my, my, my uh, sister here, uh, my grandparents on my dad's side, uh, uh, Papa Martin and my grandmother, came and got her and took her to see The Sound of Music. How old were you then? Maybe Nine years old, nine or ten, and we knew she was on her way to hell. <laughs> Alan and I were rejoicing. She's going to hell. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. 
We, didn't, we couldn't go to dances. We I, in second grade, I had a teacher named Miss Smith, and her big thing was square dancing. So I had to bring a note from my parents to Miss Smith that says, we do not square dance. Well, that really made me a favorite student of hers, you know. And so, you know, but anyway, uh, there was a lot in my life in growing up. I was saved at age six, filled with the Holy Ghost at age seven, uh, went to kids camps, was part of a, uh, the Sunday school group was a, was a Royal Ranger. Royal Rangers are type of uh, the Boy Scouts. I was a trailblazer. I was a pioneer. Uh, uh, I went to, uh, uh, I was a CA Christ Ambassadors, which is the youth part of the Assemblies of God. And, 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 and for some reason, somehow, I ended up living a life, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years of living a life under a lot of condemnation because of my behavior. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. And so, you know, I'd be in one day, out the next, hot one day, cold the next, down at the altar one Sunday crying and praying in the Holy Ghost, out behind the church the next Sunday smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Amen. And so, you know, it, it, it was hard to overcome temptation because I did not understand what temptation was. It was hard to overcome a lifestyle of iniquity because I did not realize the iniquity that was in my spirit was gone, but I still had a flesh and a mind that loved to cooperate with the devil. Now, there are all kinds of extenuating factors, and I'm not going to get into them because all of us have weakness. There's weakness in our family. There's circumstances we go through. And there's a nasty devil out there that will play mean, mean tricks on you. And I remember when my grandmother on my mother's side died, who was a true intercessor, a true prayer warrior, prayed four hours every day, just a real woman of God. And when she died of cancer, I was 17 years old, and I was already far, far away from God, into drugs, into all kinds of negative things. And I remember the thought hitting my mind when she died, and the thought was this, hey, if grandma can't get healed, nobody can get healed. This God stuff means nothing. So you got to understand, especially young people that are in here today, you can't ever get your eyes on your mom, your dad, your parents, anybody in the kingdom of God. you got to get your eyes on God. Amen. Amen. you got to keep your eyes on Him. Well, with all that being said, I spent a long time uh, uh, rededicating my life to the Lord. I mean, I did it at kids' camp. I, does anybody remember, know who Dave Reavers is? Now, now he, he went to Vietnam, got his face blown off. He was throwing a hand grenade at some Viet Cong and a sniper shot through the back of his hand and a phosphorus grenade blew his face off. Blew his face off. He didn't have a face. And so two years after that, he came to our kids camp at Camp Pearl Wheat up in Kerrville, Texas and he was the main speaker and his whole face was wrapped in bandages and he had blood marks all over it and he got up and preached and preached and if you don't serve God, you're going to end up in Vietnam with your face blown off. <laughs> well, my rededicator was turned to a high level after that one. <laughs> And I ran up to the altar. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to go to Vietnam and get my face blown off, you know. <laughs> well, you know, that's the way it is many times because rededication many times is of the soul. And so, you know, you put, a, you put a bunch of rededication in your spiritual gas tank and it'll run you to about Tuesday when temptation starts coming to your flesh. You'll find yourself very weak. And well, you know, the church, they mostly know my testimony, but you that don't, you know, I, uh, the Lord called me to preach. I was 17 years old and, and I still served the devil until I was 28 years old. 
And when I came back to the Lord, this is the most unique thing. When I came back to the Lord, I fell into the same trap that trapped me when I was a kid. You say, what trap is that? Of trying to serve God on a level of performance and getting frustrated with my performance and feeling like I had failed God and then entering into a life of guilt and condemnation. Now, it started, this is, it started so innocently. There was a great move of prayer, 1984, pastor up in Dallas named Larry Lee, teaching on prayer. And the prayer conferences were going on all over the United States, and thousands and even millions of people were dedicating themselves to pray. Now, his teaching on prayer included a time to pray. And that time was 4.30 in the morning. And so, you know, I, I, I heard the teaching and heard the teaching and heard the teaching and, 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 and was, you know, doing my best to try to adhere to it. And, and that was about the time Lee and I got married in 1986. That prayer uh, movement started in 84. And so uh, the way it was taught from the pulpit, it was like God said, you have to pray at 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I'm going to pray at 4.30 in the morning. Because God says pray it forth. He didn't have any chapter and verse. He was just saying God said to do it. So I remember the first morning I got up to pray at 4.30 in the morning. Now first, let me, let me help you. I don't have any problem getting up at 4. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, to go duck hunting. We have a little season in Texas that's two weeks in September. We have a real little tasty little duck called a teal duck that flies through the area uh, two weeks in September. Then they go down and, and winter in Venezuela. And so we get to get a few of them before they go down there. Amen. So it was my uh, Saturday morning to go down there and, and we got us a few and three o'clock came and I bounded out of bed and, and I went down and got my truck and, and went to Winnie and hunted and came home and all was well. I mean, go fishing. I've got up many times early to go fishing. Go surfing. I used to love dawn patrol, paddling out when the sun's coming. 4.30 in the morning, that'll be a cinch. I and pray at 4.30. So I went into our little living room and I kind of got out on my knees. I started praying and, you know, I get uncomfortable knees started. So, uh, you know, I, I, I stretched out on the couch, uh, you know, stretched out there, started praying. Oh, yes, yeah, so we'll see, but I can't. So, but I, and next thing I know, Leah is shaking me. It's 8.30. And she said, why'd you get out of bed and come in to sleep on the couch? I said, I'm praying. Huh? That's what she said too. No, you're not. You're sleeping. <laughs> so I, I, I was, you know, I just, here come that condemnation again, that condemnation again. That, and so I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me. I started crying out to the Lord, forgive me. Forgive, I plead the blood, you know, all that stuff. And so the next day, uh, that went on the next day. When, that went on for about a week, and I never could, I never could find a place where I could really consciously pray. So I, I felt like I needed more teaching, so I got some more teaching. Actually, somebody came to our church and taught on it. And he came to the church and he started talking about the problem with praying at 4:30 in the morning. He said, "The problem is your flesh." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, it is your flesh." He said, you're going to have to crucify your flesh. You're going to have to crucify. So he talked about how he crucified his flesh by getting into the bathtub, cold porcelain bathtub, and laying in that bathtub at 4 o'clock in the morning and reaching heaven and pulling down the glory. So I thought to myself, that's my answer right there. 
I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to get in that bathtub. And I'm going to pray heaven and earth together. And the glory's going to come down. At 8.30 in the morning, Leah came into the bathtub and woke me up. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. She said, no, you're not. You're sleeping. But I had an idea. After going through all the emotion and all everything and crying out, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord. Reconsecrating, rededicating. I'd done that. I'd done that all growing up through in Mom and Dad Goodwin's church. Amen. All of that going on. I figured out the problem was I was not laying the right way in the bathtub. <laughs> I need to turn around the other way. And I need to put my head on where that little lever is that makes the water stay or go out. And that'll be so uncomfortable, there is no way you can fall asleep. So the next morning, I got up at 4.30 in the morning, and I laid down in the bathtub, and I put my head. Man, it wasn't easy to get it positioned. And I put my head on there, and I prayed. And I prayed. At 8.30 in the morning, Leah came in and woke me up and said, What are you doing? I said, I'm praying. She said, No, you're not. You're sleeping. Well, then the enemy, because I'm telling you, if you've got any condemnation in your life over anything that's going on, any guilt in your life, it is not God. The Bible says that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you study that scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, it is talking about the judgment of God has been removed from you because that judgment has been put on Jesus. That's what he bore upon that cross was your judgment. But oh, I was condemned. Oh, I was good. I just, and, I, and here's what condemnation and, and guilt does. It makes you emotional. Now let me say something to you. When it comes to spiritual things, emotions will make you vulnerable. And emotions many times will cause you to think something the devil said is God. Because he knows how to be spiritual. And I was emotional. And I was crying. And I was praying. And I'll never forget this. This is, this is one of the times in which the, uh, the voice of the Heavenly Father spoke very authoritatively to me. And I'm praying. And I've been praying in the Spirit for about 30 minutes. And I'm praying. And I'm down there. It's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm praying. And I'm crying. And I'm, I'm just in this big pity party and all this kind of stuff. And God speaks to me. He speaks two words. He says this. He says, shut up. That sobered me up real quick. And I'll never forget how he said it. He said, never, ever make a consecration to me again. And immediately the thought hit my mind. Yeah, he knows I can't keep a one of them. (laughs) That's that's the first time. I mean, the enemy's right there many times when God is speaking to you to try to encroach into your mind. But see, I could tell something was going on down here. Something was speaking to me from the spirit realm. I could tell. And there was a war going on between here and here. It was just going. And all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and he said, I never made a consecration to you. And that kind of upended my theology. Amen. But when he said the next thing, it's totally set me free. He said, I did not make a consecration. I did not make a commitment to you. I gave you my life. Then he said this, give me your life, we'll be okay. That's been 30-something years ago. You know what happened? I learned to pray in the afternoons. I did not know that I would spend almost 20 years in field evangelism, in churches in the nations of the world, needing to pray from about 1.30 to 4 o'clock every afternoon, preparing for meetings, getting ready. And that's when I can commune with God at my height, at my most uh, able level to do that. 
Now, for many of you, that's how the enemy keeps you in a place of not being able to walk in the faith that God has for you to walk in. If he can keep you in a place of guilt, of condemnation, in thinking that your performance does not add up, in thinking that what you are doing, you know, your, 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 your obedience to God, your, uh, your prayer life, everything, that you say, well, you know, what do I do? How do I overcome that? Now, this is where faith comes in. I made the statement earlier. The greatest things I've ever received from God have nothing to do with material things. The Lord's blessed us with beautiful house. We've, 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 uh, uh, we drive nice vehicles. We wear nice clothes. We eat good food. Uh, we travel with all of these things. That, uh, uh, great. I enjoy that. that. That's fine. But in value, they're not near as valuable as what God has given me in Christ to help me understand who I am, my identity. It takes faith to have an identity change. If you've noticed the trend in the world right now, what is the trend in the world? The trend in the world right now is for identity change. You're not a man, you're a woman. You're not a woman, you're a man. Now they've got to a place where you're neither a man or a woman. I mean, I saw that the other day. This person, I'm a person of non-identity. No, you're not. Remember what we've talked about around here? All it takes is a peek. (laughs) Peek at yourself. Don't peek at your neighbor. Amen. But that is a spirit. Let me say that again. That is a spirit that keeps people in bondage. That is a spirit. Now listen, that spirit found out how to operate in the church. You say, how did it find out how to operate in the church? By people thinking they're poor old sinners saved by grace. By people thinking that their righteousness is as dirty rags. Listen, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, That you are a new creature. I'll quote the scripture. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We've talked about it over and over. How the redemptive truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality of it is. Listen, salvation is not just the forgiveness of your sins. Salvation is the remittance of your sins and the taking you from a human family and placing you in God's family. It is a brand new identity in which God places in your life. It's bigger than being white. It's bigger than being male. It's bigger than being female. It's bigger than being black or Hispanic or Asian or anything else. It is the true cord of identity in which God reaches down into your life and says, you are my child. You're not a poor old sinner saved by grace. You're not a Pentecostal. You're not a charismatic. You are what I call a brand new creature. One translation says, you are a new species of being upon this planet. So, so that, that gave me some freedom. But I, didn't, I still didn't have the freedom I needed. Because the enemy will always give you 25 rules to obey. And when you get to the 23rd one, he'll add 10 more. That's called legalism. And I'm going to tell you how legalism happens. It's when churches and moves of God begin to understand levels of authority and they begin to place authority over love for the purpose of control. Some of the most controlling denominations on the planet are authoritative. 
You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Many of the old school Pentecostal churches that I preached in when I was on the field, I would have altar calls and the altars would fill up with people who felt like they have committed an unpardonable sin. Amen? Now let me, let me help. Just take a little rabbit trail from this. might help you because somebody may think that here today. When I was in Bible school, I, I can't say enough about Pastor John Osteen, about his grace and about his, his love. He, worked, he walked in a level of authority unknown to, to, to most ministers on the earth. But it, did, it never usurped the love that he had. Never did. Never usurped his love. So we had a question and answer session in one of our classes in which he conducted. And a lady wrote out a, about a page and a half. And it, it, it read like this. I, I grew up, and she named a, a certain Pentecostal denomination. I grew up in this denomination. My, my, my uh, husband and I were elders in the church. We were a part of the church for 20 years. My husband was a businessman. And he put hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars into the church. And his business went bankrupt. And when his business went bankrupt, he went into a depression. And in that depression, he took his life. He said, she said, now at his funeral, the pastor stood over his casket and declared how he was burning in hell. And she said this, she said, I've been tormented with the thought of my husband burning in hell because he had taken his own life. And I, I'll never forget this. The, 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 the presence of God just came in to that classroom. There's 120 of us in that, 123 of us in that, in that classroom. And it was so tangible. And Pastor Osteen was such a, uh, such a gentleman, such a, so, so tender, so delicate. And he went over and he took her by the hand. She was just weeping and took her by the hand, started patting her hand. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, honey, God would no more send your husband to hell for being sick in his head than he would for being sick in his stomach. Your husband is in heaven. Your husband is rejoicing with the angels of God. He just got sick in his head. That's all that happened. And I'll never forget, you could see freedom hit that woman and set her free and break her loose from all the bondage of that authoritative spirit that tries to put some kind of standard on people that is not in the Word of God. So I ran into an old friend at a meeting his name is Mark Hankins. He's, a, he's an evangelist. He pastored a church over in Alexandria, Louisiana. His son pastors it now. I've preached in that church many times. And Mark was so excited. He knew me. He knew I'd been away from the Lord. And he was so excited that I had gotten uh, back to the Lord and was serving the Lord and, and, and going into the ministry. And Mark, his, how would I, how could I say this? His forte, his anointing was preaching on redemption. Who you are, what you have, and what you can do in Christ Jesus. And he said, look, Rusty, I'm going to send you every, back then it was cassette tapes. He says, I'm going to send you every cassette tape I've ever preached on redemption. And I, about, about a week later, I got a box this big. And there were, every, every, there were tape series on who you were in Christ. There were tape series on redemption. And I'm telling you, I started devouring those. I started listening to them over and over and over and over and over and over. Then I began to practice what I was learning. See, Faith must be released by what you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and act on. So I begin to declare what God says about me. Now let me say this. Many of you struggle receiving from God, and it's not God's issue of trying to get an answer to you. It's your issue of trying to receive because of a sense of unworthiness. You have to have faith. 
to believe you are who God says you are. Now, I need to say that again. You have to have faith to believe you are who God says you are. This first scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 17, I begin to say it every day. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Old things have passed away. Behold, that means look and see. All things are new for me. I'm not, listen, I had to give my testimony for two years in full gospel business. It used to drive me up the wall. I'd have to talk about how I backslid, how I got away from God, what I did when I was away from And God would bless those meetings. We had some tremendous meetings. But in a meeting down in Harlingen, Texas, Harlingen, Texas, I came to the end of it. I told God, I can't do this no more. I don't like getting up and telling three, four, five, six hundred people how stupid I was for 12 years. Amen. And the Lord quoted a scripture to me out of Revelation chapter 12. He said, you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. I said, Father, that's not, you got to understand, I'll teach on the blood of the Lamb, but it's that word of your testimony. I've got a problem with the word of my testimony. And he said it again. You're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of your testimony. I said it again. Lord, I know it, but it's that word of my testimony. I don't like telling people of all the stupid stuff I did. For, and he said it again. But you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And then he said this. Your problem is you've been telling people the word of your testimony of what you've come out of, but the true word of your testimony is what I have brought you into. Woo, I got excited. I got me a notebook. I wrote me a new testimony. I went to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things are new. I went to verse 21. He that knew no sin was made sin on my behalf. Because of that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I went over to Galatians 2, verse 20. I'm crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved and gave himself for me. And I got a bunch of y'all can get our redemptive confession out there and I still speak it over myself every day because I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth what God says about me is true. And I tell you it's freed me from all of that. And I tell you I wrote that testimony out in the next full gospel businessman meeting I was at. I gave them my testimony. They said that's preaching. Well I did all right after that. And I've gone all over this world teaching redemption. And I've taught it to this church. And I've taught it to many of you. But you cannot leave the subject of who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, and what you can do in Christ on the page of the Bible. And say, well, I know that's true, and not practice it. Amen? Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? You've got to put into practice your new identity. Because let, let me, I just got a couple of minutes and I'll close. That new identity includes your healing. That new identity includes your prosperity. Now don't get me wrong. I minister to many people all over the world who need healing. And they're asking God to heal them. And many times God heals them through His mercy by the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost. But in reality, I said in reality... 
you're not sick trying to get healed. Your new identity is you are the healed of God using the Word of God, the anointing of God, and if need be, the, 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 the protocols of God to get healing to manifest in your body. When it comes to prosperity, you're not poor trying to get rich. You are the rich of God using tithing and offering to appropriate that which belongs to you in Christ Jesus. It's a whole new paradigm change of how you think about yourself, how you see yourself, and it is seeing yourself and thinking about yourself as God sees you and as God looks at you through the blood of Jesus. Amen? I remember Pastor Mark Hankins' teachings. He always talked about the butterfly. And how the butterfly, if you really think about the life of a butterfly, the butterfly starts out as a worm. Amen. And how you know, you look at a butterfly, you don't think flying worm. You think butterfly because the identity change was so complete. But one of my favorite stories that he told and I adopted it as mine was the flea story. Anybody remember the flea story? The flea story is actually a good lesson on how to have a flea circus. Did you know flea circuses are real? You can have a flea circus if you want one or if you have fleas. <laughs> now, people that study insects will tell you that fleas have the potential to jump 18 inches. So most fleas that are on your dog, your cat, or on you, or your spouse, or whatever, <laughs> if you see one and it jumps, then take about an 18-inch circumference around there and you'll find them again. We've done that before. <laughs> Leah had fleas one time. So, so what you do is you get you a bunch of fleas. And you put them in a, you put them in a jar. And, and the jar is not 18 inches high. The jar is only 14 inches high. So all those fleas are down there and they take off to reach their full potential. And, and 14 inches up, they have a setback. Bam! They run right into the lid of the jar. And they do that a time or two, and then they adjust their jump, and they begin to jump about 13 and a half inches. So what you do is you get you a 10-inch jar, and you put them in that 10-inch jar. Well, they have a, 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 a new potential now, which is 13 and a half inches, so they take off to reach that potential, and bam! 10 inches up, same old thing. Busted head, you know, finances went out the door you know, problem in the family, all that kind of stuff. So they adjust their jump again. And they start jumping nine and a half inches. So you let them do that a couple of days. Then you get you a little jar that's only about three inches big. And you put all those fleas in that three-inch jar. And the same process happens. And they start jumping and bam, they start hitting their head, having financial problems, medical problems, all this kind of stuff. And so they adjust their jump to two and a half inches. And all you got to do is take a white napkin, pour them out, and you got all these fleas jumping two and a half inches, and that's your flea circus. Some of you can go make millions of dollars on that. Amen? <laughs> now, every one of these fleas jumping two and a half inches have the potential to jump 18 inches. But... You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what happened when they lowered the jar to 14 inches. You don't know what happened to my life when they lowered it to 10, when they lowered it to 3. I'm telling you, I remember the day when we could jump 18 inches. So what you need is a little evangelist flea. 
And he's got a message. Everybody say a message. It's the good news. It's the gospel. Now, here's the message. You're not in the jar anymore. It's a simple message. You're not in the jar anymore. So the full potential of what you were created to be is now back in your life. So what is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? You're not in the jar of humanity anymore. The jar has been broken through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the full potential of what you were created to do and how you were created to be is now available to you if you want it. How does it begin? It begins with an identity change. The identity change begins with salvation. Not according to works of righteousness which you perform, but according to His mercy He saves you and washes you with a regeneration of the Holy Ghost. It's so simple. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you are born again. That means your first birth puts you in the human family, the new birth, the second birth has put you in God's family. Now all of that potential of what you were created to be and do is now downloaded into your life and you begin to carry not the DNA of a fallen human family, you begin to carry the DNA of God's family that you now live in. And God's family is not Irish, it's not Mexican, it's not Filipino, it's not any other ethnic background you can come up with, it's not African, it's not, it's not uh, a Canadian, it's not American, it is God is your father. You are his child. And it usurps every other cord of identity that could be in your life. And once you begin to discover it and walk in it, that's where faith begins to operate. Now my last statement, I'll close with this. This will help you. There is an atmosphere that redemption creates in your life called the atmosphere of righteousness or right standing with God. Where at the, uh, You could blow it as bad as anyone can blow it and still recognize that God's not going to condemn you. He's wanting to restore you. Amen? That happens by using your faith to appropriate that identity. By believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth on a consistent basis everything that God says about you in Christ Jesus. There's some, uh, somebody could help me with this. Is it 233 or 234 scriptures in the letters to the church that talk about who you are what you have, and what you can do in Christ Jesus. If you will take and begin to talk about uh, 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 in Him, in Christ, in whom, amen. And then there's some other scriptures that relate to it, like greater is He that's in you than He that's in the earth. Those type of scriptures paint the picture of your identity. That identity gives you an atmosphere of righteousness in your life. Where there is an atmosphere of righteousness, faith is invigorated. Faith to what? Overcome what the enemy attacks you with and faith to possess what God says belongs to you. What faith appropriates, grace is already secured and righteousness makes available for you. And when you realize that and recognize that, you realize the potential of my life is unlimited. Not based on my ethnic background, not based on my gender, not based on my education or lack of it. What's, in, what's one of the greatest realities, some of the greatest men and women of God that have lived on this planet have not been highly educated, had not, had not been, had not been uh, uh, you know, had great talents or abilities. They just found out who they were in Christ. 
And when they did, they were, over to, uh, they were able to overcome every negative obstacle because they're a new creature, they're in a new family, now they have a new life. Amen? Does that help you this morning? Praise God. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for the reality of your word this morning, of the reality of who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what we can do in Christ. And we thank you today, Heavenly Father, that each and every person struggling with that identity would be strengthened, would be encouraged, and will come into the blessing of God, recognizing and realizing that His presence is in them. His Spirit abides. His Spirit of powers and His Spirit and Word will help them overcome every negative thing in life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Just for a moment. If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You say, Pastor, I'm kind of holding out that I can be good enough. Please don't do that. You can live your whole life and be a good person. Die and go straight to hell. You can live your whole life as a terrible person. Get born again on your deathbed and go straight to heaven. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. If you're in the human family, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. That word death means separated from God. But if you're born again, you're alive unto Him. If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You need to do that today. Secondly, let me say this. This is the category I fell into so many times. You say, Pastor, I'm here. I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. You may have been raised in a, in a certain type of denomination or around certain types of belief that you can send away your salvation. Let me just say this to you. Salvation is not that fragile. It's not that fragile. But if you're here today and you feel like you're estranged from God. You feel like, I'm not living right. I'm not serving right. I'm doing so much of my life. And I know God's not pleased with me. What has happened to you is you have broken fellowship with God. You got saved once, but you've not lived for Him. So you have that overwhelming dread of punishment in your life. Man, maybe even you've gone through some things and you think, well, that, that's because I'm not serving God. Listen, God won't even punish you because you're not serving Him. That's the devil trying to destroy you. I want you to come today, if that's you, and get right and stay right. That if that's you, this will be your last altar call to ever answer when it comes to being away from God. That you will not make a consecration. That you will not make a commitment to God but that you will give God your life once and for all and settle it right then and there. You say, what will it cost me? Everything. That's what it cost Him. But it's the greatest, greatest giving up of what you have in order to get what He has that you'll ever experience. Father, thank you so much for your presence, your power, your anointing, your spirit today. What a great day we've had in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we leave, as is the tradition of our church, we lay hold upon and claim 
protection and safety that belongs to our life. We declare according to Psalms 91, no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. So Father, we thank you as we travel on the highways, airways, seaways, railways, any other way of travel or transportation, we declare we are blessed of the Lord. Lord, in the righteous labor of our hands, thank you, Father. No matter where we work, no matter what our profession, job, or business may be, we thank you. No accidents, no trauma, no terror, no evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself, for we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for our door of utterance as we leave the four walls of Island Church. Thank you that you loose us upon a world of darkness, us being the light and the salt. Thank you that this week will be an answer to somebody's prayer, will be a problem to the adversary, will be a miracle in somebody's life, and we will be a blessing to one another. As we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you. Thank you that you love us so much, Lord. We leave walking in love one toward another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ that you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.